What's good, everybody? I'm John Zastrzemski, host of New York, New York with JJ, the first podcast on the Ringer and Spotify dedicated to you, the New York sports fan. We've got episode three nights a week, plus bonus episodes whenever news breaks. So make sure you follow the show on Spotify. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game and they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com as well as the Ringer Podcast Network. Two newish podcasts that we launched recently, Flying Coach Season 2 with Peter Schrager and Sean McVay. You can find that on the Ringer NFL show as well. They had a Jets coach and a Packers coach together on the pod. It was a little four-man pod. It was great. And then uh, we also have No Skips with Shea Serrano and Jinx. They're breaking down some of the iconic hip-hop albums of all time. Missy Elliott got her turn this week. If you like music podcasts, by the way, 60 songs that explain the 90s. They did uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Under the Bridge, recently. Rob Harbill did a great job with that. That's an excellent podcast. If you love 90s music, check out Black Girl Songbook with Danielle Smith as well. Um, coming up on this podcast, Kyle Mann and Rob Mahoney from The Ringer. We did a late-night session because we knew Denver, Portland, and Lakers' sons, some stuff was going to happen. So we uh, we stayed up late, and we're going to break down all the storylines that we liked from that. And then my old friend Wesley Morris from the Grantland days, now at the New York Times, talking uh, what it was like to be at a Knicks game, a Knicks playoff game, what MSG was like, because he was there for one of those. And then we broke down Kate Winslet's career because the season finale of Mayor of Easttown is coming up. Great show. And then finally, I asked my daughter Zoe and her best friend Ella, to explain the Olivia Rodrigo phenomenon to us. So they're going to do that. It's at the tail end. If you don't want to listen to that, you don't have to listen. If you don't want to hear uh, Wesley and I talk about Mayor time, which we really don't. It's really Winslet-centric. Uh, but uh, there you go. It's all stacked toward the end. So you can escape anytime you want. Fun podcast, though. I think we have to bring in our friends for Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, we are taping this. It is 10.08 Pacific time. Rob Mahoney is here from The Ringer. He's on the West Coast. Kyle Mann on the... 
basically on the East Coast, staying up late, had some coffee. He's ready to talk hoops with us. We're going to talk uh, Lakers Sun and Nuggets Blazers just happened. Let's talk Lakers Suns first. Rob, is this a different series if Chris Paul is healthier or are we looking at the same result right now? 2-1 uh, Lakers. I mean, I think it's definitely different. And you can tell just by how much of a rock fight this is for the Suns. I mean, that second quarter for both teams was pretty brutal. You know, we've seen some really high-powered offenses in these playoffs so far. That was some Stone Age shit we saw from the Lakers and the Suns. And, and you get the vibe when they're going through these long lulls. You know, they just need a little more guidance. They need a, a steady hand like Chris Paul. And you can tell, I mean, look how far one minute of juice from campaign got them in this game. Right. Imagine if you got another 15 minutes of, of good Chris Paul. I think we could be talking about a very different series. My counter to that, Kyle, is that it seems like LeBron has decided he's only going to play hard for a half in every playoff game. And the other half, he's just on cruise control. This started in the Golden State game, the playing game. In first half, he was so kind of detached. People were like, is he hurt? What's going on? What's, is, it, is this it? His father time caught up. And the second half, he flipped the switch. Did the same thing tonight. Is this just what he's going to do until we get to uh, the finals? Yeah, I mean, we've just increasingly gone further and further this direction. I mean, we've gone from he just kind of coasts through part of the regular season and then turns it on in the playoffs, and now he's just waiting longer and longer. But, I mean, like our buddy Jonathan Charks has said this a bunch of times that, like, you know, LeBron is like a wait and kind of see the board type person. Like, he's famous for taking a beat. And I think that that's like his – one of his – I mean, his greatest strength is that he's six foot nine and has incredible vision and all that stuff. But I mean, like, I think what really, really puts him like ahead of the pack is is that ability, is that ability to see the board and make adjustments in real time. You know, he he, he there's been like a micro and macro thing about him making adjustments where it's like he can make them within a game, he can make them within a series, and he's made them within his career. And I think that's what makes him so special. But I think Rob's right. Like for Phoenix, this has been the thing that's been going on with them for a few years where they've really, really needed more creation around Devin Booker. You know, they brought in Ricky Rubio last year to supplement him and to take some pressure off of of, uh, of Booker. And CP3 is just sort of like a supermax version of that, like a souped up version of that, a better version. And I think that he's him gutting it out, I think is good for their morale. But um, I don't know that the outcomes would be different. I think that the Suns would be a lot more coherent and competent. But uh, I don't know that the outcomes would be different. I think the outcome is the same. The, the difference would be how much LeBron had to exert himself. You know, it's like the old saying about Milton Berle um, <laughs> pu pulling out just enough to win. It's a, a, a penis joke for, for, the, uh, for the younger listeners out there. But LeBron's been, I think he's just in that mode. I think he sees the finals and it just seems like anytime he wants to flip the switch. At the same time, I feel bad for Chris Paul. I was looking at, I was trying to figure out what was legitimate about his playoff history and with the injuries and what wasn't. So in 2014, when they blew that Oklahoma City series, he wasn't hurt, but he wasn't healthy either. That was the first time he was looking a little gimpy. 2015, he was hurt. He made the shot against the Spurs in game seven on one leg. Um, and played one leg that whole team ended up missing two games in the Houston series, came back, played, uh, 2016 broke his wrist, 2018, famously the Houston hammy injury at the worst possible time as they're taking control of the series. And then the shoulder injury this year, I, 
I'm not going to say he's injury prone, but I am going to say he's a smaller guy. And this is what happens, Rob, when, when you're banking on, you know, somebody who's six feet tall. Um, there's not a storied history of this. If this is your main guy, he's not the main guy in this team, but I think he's the most important guy. And this is where it gets dicey when he's a free agent this year, if he wants to be. And if you're like the Knicks, are you going to pay him 40 million a year when I just listed five postseasons that he was kind of breaking down during? If you're Phoenix, do you feel great about that? What would you do? Well, I think Phoenix has kind of drawn themselves into a corner with this in a good way. I mean, they're they're in such a positive place as an organization. And I think so much of that has to do with the professionalism that Paul and Monty Williams have brought there together. Yeah. And, and guys like Jay Crow. I mean, there, there's other additions too. But I, I think they kind of have to keep him for the trajectory of their franchise. But you're you're exactly right. And Kyle touched on this in his video too. Yeah. Players of Paul's size and the need to stay healthy. I mean, they have to make adjustments to their diet. They have to make dramatic changes throughout their career just to make sure they can stay on the floor for the games that matter the most. And then if you're Chris Paul, you get breaks like this. And I think this, you know, this was by far the healthiest we've seen him since this injury. Like his mid-range shot looked about as normal in that first half as we've seen so far he still wanted absolutely no part of taking a three. He, st- you know, he was still passing out of situations that we would normally see him iso bigs or do that rock back step into the corner to hit his three. These classic Chris Paul moves, he just doesn't have that right now. And that, I mean, that has to scare you if you're the Suns and you're talking about like long-term prospects. But he's so important, I think, to, to where that team is mentally and culturally right now that you just kind of bite the bullet on it. Yeah, he can't okay. wind up into his shot. Like he he like you definitely could see a difference between him being like flat-footed and just powering up into his shot and him like wheeling up into it like with momentum, you know? Like uh and I was even noticed. I was really really paying attention to what he was doing like in terms of his gait and like how he, you know, which hand he was doing things with. There was even one time where he like threw an inbounds with his left hand underhanded it seemed like just to avoid using his right hand. Like he was passing the ball like across his body a lot. Uh, and I think ultimately the the question is, does it, I mean, like morale wise, it's nice to see that, uh, your hero is still appears to be the, the guy, you know, it's like seeing him weakened and stuff. Like, I guess it's good for their resolve, but does it ultimately hurt them? Like Rob, you wrote about this earlier in the week. Like the Lakers aren't dumb. They, they went back and watched that game and they realized that they overplayed him in that game. It was sort of the Willis Reed thing or the Scotty Pippen decoy thing, or it's just like, they have some time to think about this now. So it's like, does, does it ultimately hurt the, the, the sons to go with him? If, if they're going to, cause there were times where like Schroeder played like all the way up. Did you, do you, there was a play in the second half where Schroeder came like all the way up to Booker almost to, to really bother one of Booker's big weaknesses, which is passing over extra help when it comes. And I I think that's a big problem for the Suns. I wondered if maybe he should have just rested if there was any chance that he could get back to 70%, you know? I So I'm glad you brought that up. I would have sat him tonight. I don't think they were going to win the game anyway. The Lakers were seven-point favorites. Usually when the series flips and goes back to the the other team for game three, that's usually the game they win. I just would have put all my eggs in the game four basket And then the second piece of that, you know, try to see if there's some Ewing theory potentially for one game where you could, you know, hey, campaign, here are the car keys, buddy. (laughs) Knock it dead. Don't don't they have Javon Carter? Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's dust him off. Javon, get ready. (laughs) We're using you for 20 minutes tonight. Like, let's go. Let's see. Let's see what we got. And if we lose, then we have an excuse. To me, this is the worst case scenario of like, it's Chris Paul. 
he's somewhere between 55 and 64%. That's not beating the Lakers. But, and I, I think, I, I think you guys both see what I see. I think the Lakers know they have this series now. Chris is healthy. Maybe it's a little different, but now the Lakers, Rob, this is the second straight year of this. This just lined up for them. Now they get to play the winner of that Portland-Denver game I just watched. Neither of those teams are Western Finals teams. Well, we'll see how much it lined up for them because even in this game, there were multiple injury scares with AD, with Contavious mm. Caldwell-Pope, with Dennis Schroeder appearing to turn an ankle too. And that's on top of LeBron and his kind of, you know, what, whatever you make of his situation and whether he's flipping the Jets on and off or not. I mean, it's it's a long road between now and whoever makes it out of the East, and those teams are going to be really good. I think for the Suns, I just keep going back to the end of Game 2. That was kind of their shot. Those last couple minutes, mm. the game was tied or right there in their in their grasp, and they just could not generate offense running high pick and roll with Booker and Aiden with AD blowing it up. And that, you know, because if they had gone out of that game 2-0, then I think this conversation about resting Chris Paul becomes a much easier one. You, you have a little more latitude in, in doing something like that. But with the way things broke, I, I just don't feel like they, they must not have felt comfortable. And that's unfortunate for their ultimate fate in this series. Davis was really good tonight. I ha I'm creating a new stat for you guys. The Anthony Davis triple-double when he has a third, at least 30 points, at least 10 rebounds, and at least two injury scares. <laughs> it's... It's really, he's the only one who does it. I think he had an injury scare in each half. I, I think that might be the average rest of the way, but there are two times where it's like, oh my God, he's out. Each half and then of his career fine. for, for his whole career of every single game. That, that's that been going on <laughs> since he was here, man. Like he would fall down and you would think uh, him and Kid Gilchrist both, you, they, Cal used to joke. It was like, it looked like they'd been shot. I mean, he yeah. would fall down sometimes and we'd be like, is he dead? I don't like, he could be dead. Like, he just, this just mangled pile of limbs going down all the time. He He's was just one of those guys. When Schroeder went flying in the last minute, if that had been Davis, I think he'd still be down. <laughs> they, they'd be picking him up in pieces, but he was really good tonight. And this is why I thought the Lakers were going to win the series because of this Davis mismatch. They really, the Suns only have one guy to really throw at him. Am I a sucker for feeling more impressed with Anthony Davis when he comes back from the knee injury scare and is still awesome? Like, am I just falling for it, basically? Pretty much. It's like yeah. a, it's almost like a soccer player. Yeah. Where, I've, you know, when they're, when the straight, when Suarez is rolling around, like he's been shot and then two minutes later is fine. I think it's just part of the package with him. Yeah, the NBA game feels increasingly like it's like going that direction. I was talking to you off air about that, that like it's just constant, just constant, 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 falling down, getting calls for that. I don't want to like pick on them for that, but it's just all the time. But AD hit a shot when he really got going in that third quarter. He hit a runner against now, Aiton played pretty good positional mm. defense several different times. And it just goes to show you that like, like AD hit one and he was fully extended over the top of DeAndre Aiton. And Aiton has like a seven. Four? I mean, he is like up there in the sevens wingspan. He's a long dude, and he was all over him. And uh, it's just the Lakers did this to Miami last year, too, where they get into some of these matchups. And the fact that LeBron is able to create at his size just allows them to do this, where they just look like the one seed in like the NCAA tournament coming up against like the OVC champs or something. Like the size difference, like there's just lob after lob after lob, and you're just like, I, it's. I can imagine it'd be hard not to feel a little bit daunted. And to me, it felt like the, towards the end of that game, you know, like um, there was some, you know, indulgence going on, I'd say, at the end of that game. LeBron was having a pretty good time. It felt like they were kind of like trying to take Phoenix's heart tonight a little bit, like at the end of that game to me. It, this is something that LeBron added starting in his second Cleveland stint 
this bully ball aspect, right? When he got, when he added that physicality in the 2016, 17 range, and he can really punish you once he really got comfortable down there. Um, there was some Crowder stuff going on that dates back to Cleveland. Well, really dates back to the Boston Cleveland series, but then they make the trade. Crowder goes to Cleveland and has a really unhappy couple months with them. They end up sending him packing. And I think he's still been bitter about it. So Crowder thinks there's this rivalry with LeBron. LeBron probably doesn't even remember playing with them, but <laughs> Crowder's always like chest puffed out. Let's go. It's go time. And finally LeBron in the fourth quarter got, he was like, all right, dude, I'm just going to, I'm bully balling you and took over two days in a row. And this is why LeBron is still LeBron. Mahoney, you're, is this your next book? You think LeBron versus Crowder, the rivalry, <laughs> like three, like a Borg McEnroe type of thing. I mean, that's not one book. That's a three book deal right there. That's an epic. <laughs> It'd be a good book cover. Um, last son's point, DeAndre Ayton was 26 of his first 29 in this series. Mahoney, are you, is he, is this stock risen for you or is he exactly who you thought he was? Because what we're seeing is a guy who's going to shoot 65%, protect the rim. He's going to botch a couple nice sneaky passes, but he's going to try really hard. And I think he's an asset. Oh, it, it's risen. I mean, I genuinely, we've reached the point in the series where I genuinely think one of the Suns' problems is they can't play DeAndre Ayton 48 minutes. Mm. That's crazy. That's crazy that a, a, a young big would put himself in that kind of position. And I, I think not only is his stock rising for people like us, but if you work in the league, if you're a coach of James Wiseman or Wendell Carter or Isaiah Stewart, these young bigs who you're trying to figure out, okay, where do they fit? in the modern NBA game? What does that template look like? It looks a lot like either, either what Aiden's doing or what Jonas Valanciunas is doing. So like those are kind of the models for more traditional bigs being effective in the playoffs right now. Aiden, I think he's just bought into his role so perfectly. He's picking his spots. He's really patient. Even on those catches when he knows he's got lots of bigs around him, I've been super impressed with just his finishing ability. And he does, yes, he will mishandle a couple of those passes a game in, in close quarters, and that's tough. But for a player of his experience level to deliver against this kind of matchup, I, I don't think there's a lot of precedent for it outside of superstar level bigs. Kyle. Yeah. I I, I thought Luca Luca not going in that spot, I thought was egregious, but I also thought it was at least defensible because it seemed like Aiton had a chance to be a very good center, maybe even an all-star. And I was like, I get it. I get why they did it. I personally would have taken Luca a hundred times out of a hundred because I think perimeter guys win titles, but I get it. The Bagley one I didn't get. And I thought was absurd and ludicrous. And then the Hawks trading on the spot was just as bad, but Aiton, um, the Luca thing could have hung on him. Right. Yeah. And it feels like we're past that. I feel like this guy now is a top 25 trade asset. I don't know. Is he a Kyle Mann video at some point? Is it, it, it could be lurking down the road. It feels like in the next year. I've done a couple of videos about him. One of them pissed Suns fans off pretty good. And then the, uh, well, I was just like critical of him. I, I feel like we've gone through a process with him where he's had some sort of self-realization that's gone on. I'll speculate. Maybe that's been Monty Williams and Chris Paul. I mean, there were mm. quotes, there were quotes from him coming out of Arizona, coming out of high school where he was just talking about how, he wanted to play the four and all this stuff. And it was just kind of, everybody just kind of looked around the room like, what are you talking about? And it's like, you're a five, you have an opportunity here. But I mean, he's kind of gone away from this obsession with like, I have to shoot threes and he's really embraced his role. Defensively, he's improved 
He still runs like he's wearing a mech suit, I think. But he like defensively, he's gotten a whole lot better. Um, I would I would turn the dimmer down just a little bit. I mean, I know people are like really, really excited. And I, I've been pleased with his like poise finishing positionally, defensively. He's been great. Like they can't take him off the floor because they don't have any backup bigs that can really support him or keep their continuity. But like I've been there's just that little thing that would make me even more impressed if he could just competently like 35 percent of the time attack a situation where he has an advantage where he could leverage his size because there's been a few because a because phoenix desperately needs him to do that in this series they need someone to create and generate some offense because he's shown he can skip past he's shown that he can kick it out but there were a few times tonight where it was just like he could should be able to take his man and he just like didn't even want to look at the basket he just like got rid of it immediately and and i remember game two when he had the layup and he didn't realize it and he kicked it out and the whole sun's bench was yelling and then he ate and was pointing to his head like anytime (laughs) a player points to their head i'm always i always become dubious that's always the larry bird was never pointing at his head michael jordan was never like oh that's my bad i point to my head yeah exactly and i think the absence of i think what we've seen is that you know Phoenix was constructed to operate. They, they've been one of the best execution teams all year. They went from like one of the worst sideline out of bounds, out of bounds teams to one of the best. Uh, that's just a sign of their execution. But like when you take away, they're just like a galaxy where you took, you took away the planet in the center. There were all these things that were orbiting that, that planet mm. that are now being relied on too heavily. Like campaign. I'm sure he's like, you know, coming up to talk to Monty Williams on the plane saying like, Hey, I'll take these reps. But I'm ready. Like that, that's not, <laughs> that's not going to put him in a good position. And I, you know, it's really making Booker pay the price a little bit too, uh, because he benefited a lot from that. Whenever they'd run those sort of weak side pin downs where he'd come around with momentum and go into his shot, those things aren't there as much because he's getting doubled. And and I think that Paul going down really hurts eight and two, but uh, they're in a heck of a position here, man, because it seems like LA's got momentum now. And uh, I don't know, they're going to have to really pull some smoke and mirror stuff, I think, to. Well, to Mahoney, even... LA, LA has more than momentum. They get to play the winner of that Nuggets Blazers series that I, we just watched game three of. Can't say either team knocked my socks off. You look at like the Nuggets, they really, really needed an Austin Rivers heat check to get out of this one tonight. Austin Rivers wasn't <laughs> on a team for 10 weeks. Um, you look at Portland and it's like Nurkic fouls out. There's no plan B. They really have no bench other than Carmelo. It doesn't seem like their coach trust. And it just seems hard to fathom either of these teams being in the final four. What do you think? Well, when you look at either of them, they just don't look like teams with options, as you laid out. Once once you take Nurkic off the floor, it's either Cantor, which they figured out in this game, is not very viable against a lot of playoff opponents, or you're going very, very small with Rondé Hollis-Jefferson or Rob Covington. And that can get you so far, but against Nikola Jokic, not so far, it turns out. Uh, and the Nuggets look exactly like a team that's missing several of their lead guards. You know, you can squint at this game in particular at some of those Austin Rivers threes and see a little bit of Jamal Murray. That's about as close a comparison as you're going to get. There was there was a point with, I think it was about four minutes left when this game was still very much up for grabs where Rivers looked off Jokic posting up at the nail and took a three. And I, I almost I almost gasped on my couch. Just I as, loved it. I, 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 it was, I mean, a, a ball. That's why he's shot. been on six teams. <laughs> well, I mean, it's also why he's why he has the Austin Rivers game and helps them win this one. You know, it's it's both sides of that at once. But just the gall to look off the MVP in that kind of moment 
I mean, it, they need a little bit of that, but I yeah. don't know that they're getting nearly enough of everything else in terms of guard play to to be competitive in a long-term situation. You I'm could. glad you brought that up. I loved it. I Austin, I got to watch him go into Clipper games and was just always shocked by the amount of confidence he had at at all points, even when things couldn't have been going worse. He just it just seemed like he had this innate feeling that he was the guy, and it's like he was playing with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and it, he just didn't matter to him. What were you gonna say, Kyle? I interrupted you. I, I would say he. You could like hook Austin Rivers up to a lie detector test and be like, "Are you are you better than Jamal Murray?" And he'd be like, "Yes." <laughs> and it would like not register at all. They'd be like, "Well, he checks out." Yeah, it's that's truthful. Not being deceptive. No, I mean like uh, Rivers. That's just who he is. I mean, KG told those stories about him like being you know really competitive in practice and getting you know pissed off when he lost NBA players as like a sixteen year old kid. It's just. Who he is, and I, th- I think I like it too, just because I love guys who are rationally confident like that. But it's like you need you need a little bit of that in a playoff series sometimes when you have these lulls and you have to kind of just quilt patchwork these offensive performances together whenever things aren't clicking. That's that. I mean, some of the best teams ever have that kind of stuff. Like you, you'll have a game where like, oh, Mike Miller hit six threes in this game, and we won the title because of that. Like you, you need stuff like that, and I, I think. Uh, it, it's hilarious. Like this, this matchup to me is funny and it's going to continue to be like this because Portland's strengths that is like wanting to like dribble shoot in the pick and roll directly conflict with, with like some of Denver's weaknesses. Like they, they've attacked Compazzo and Jokic just relentlessly in this year. So it, every game is, I, in my opinion, is going to be like this. I could, I could live to be proven wrong on that, but it's, it's a really funny matchup for that reason, in my opinion. I thought the series was over after game one. It just seemed like Portland's backcourt was so far superior to Denver. It seemed insurmountable. And now I don't know what to think after three games, but I think you're right. It's like two teams that their strength is the other team's weakness. And it's clearly a seven. The two series that are clearly going seven games are this one and Knicks Hawks just feels destined to go seven, I would say. Just for what I, and that one will be the case of it'll be a seventh game, and you you just won't believe the Hawks that let this go to seven. Whereas, like, you're way better than the Knicks. How did you guys let this happen? Riddle didn't show up, but it does feel like it, there's no other one. Rob, is there another series that could go seven? Those feel like the only two, right? I mean, if the Clippers dig their way out, I guess that would be yeah. one scenario. But oh otherwise, I think these two are not do. digging it out. <laughs> These two do feel like they're earmarked for seven. I, I will say I will say this in Denver's defense. I don't know if you guys had this experience watching this game, but as I'm watching Jokic, you know, he's kind of playing with his food with some of these like small ball matchups. There were moments when I was kind of trying to figure out what he's doing, why he's, you know, deferring to Compazzo or Rivers in this particular way in certain moments. And, and then you just realize that he's having like a quote unquote underwhelming game in some ways. And he's just a megawatt talent who still produces at an off the charts level in those games. Yeah. I, so I don't, I don't even know that we've gotten the, the knockout Jokic game yet. These have been kind of slow and steady, pick my spots, play what the defense is giving me kind of games for the most part from him. If he clicks into that gear for a couple of games at a time, I could see this thing being wrapped up sooner than later. And maybe that's how, you know, if the Nuggets do have a way to really contend with some of these other Western teams in in future rounds, it's got to be something like that formula. I texted both of you in the fourth quarter and said, Jokic seems a little bit off tonight. 
He finished with a 36 11 5. <laughs> and I'm watching him. I'm, I'm like, what's wrong with Jokic? He doesn't totally seem to be on his game. But I agree with you. He hasn't had the monster game. And then the other one, you know, Lillard was 37 tonight, but he, you know, he's 15 for 31. It wasn't, it's weird to say this, but it wasn't an awesome 37. I think if you're taking over 30 shots and 16 threes, the bar, I think, is 40 at that point. Um, McCollum hasn't lit it up either. McCollum's going to have one game out of the next three, right? He'll have the game when he has like 45 or he just lights it up. But I don't know what they do with this, this bench situation, which they threw two first round picks and a lot of money at this last summer. And it, it doesn't seem like it really paid off. And then on the flip side, um, Aaron Gordon, every time he does something in this series, it's like, Oh, Aaron Gordon's on this team. I totally forgot. I, I guess we have our question answered about Aaron Gordon, right? We always wondered, like, I always wondered as a Celtics fan, what would, what would happen if different situation, better teammates? It, this might be who he is? What do you guys yeah. think? I, I, I think it's, it, it was, I did have that kind of realization tonight too when he did a few things. I was just like, oh, we've literally never seen this from him in a playoff series. That was actually a significant moment just now. Like uh, he, well, yeah, I guess he did get some with uh, some early round matchups, but he's never been on like a team that like was competitive like this. Um, I, it's interesting because he's providing, it's going to kind of go overlooked, I guess, just because their guard situation has fallen off so much, you know, that like the, de it's, the defense has really helped them. I agree. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's coming up there at the point of attack when he can, but it's just, they just keep aiming away from him because there are so many other areas to go. I really like Compazzo. I like just how unbothered he seems by, by the matchup. He's, he's a pretty fun player to watch. Mahoney's beaming. You brought up Composo. <laughs> Mahoney just just lit up like a Christmas tree. I just I love every slow motion replay interaction we get between Dame and Composo. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, for, I mean, Dame is about as unflappable a guy as you'll find in the NBA. He does not seem to be having fun. He is he is over that shit. Um, and Composo is exactly that kind of player in all the best ways. Uh, super fun to watch. I mean, if only he could make a layup in traffic, I think the Nuggets <laughs> would really have something going in the series. But in terms of the pocket passing, the pesky defense, I mean, he's a, he's a perfect playoff character, uh, Faku Campasso is. So I'm, I'm glad he's getting his moment in the sun, even if some of that moment is Dame dropping jumpers over his head on his way to, as you're saying, like a, a, a 37 that, I mean, I, I would kill for a not-so-spectacular 37 in a losing effort. That seems like a pretty good night. But for Dame... The bar is just that high sometimes. Yeah. Compasso Caruso in round two might be the uh, NBA Cold War we never knew we needed. <laughs> I don't know what's, what's, what, you know, and by the way, you know, the Clippers have taken a beating. I'd like to think I led the charge by pointing out, or at least one of the first, pointing out what cowards they were to avoid the Lakers after two years of shit. Um, but they inadvertently allow the Lakers to play the winner of this series when the Lakers get by the Suns. And, you know, it, it's just, it's lined up for the Lakers. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. And I have a very important question for you guys. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. 
Couldn't work better. I think Sipway Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others, real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S, simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, so the Bucks beat the living hell out of the Heat tonight. And what was scary about it was they didn't even play that well. They didn't even shoot that well. They won by 29. Um, I realized tonight watching it, the Laker fans aren't going to like this. Bucks Nets might be the finals. We might have the finals of round two. And I went back and I looked up when was the last time this happened. And really the last time this happened was 2007 Sun Spurs, the Robert Horry shoved that whole series where it was like, it was just clear at some point, whoever was going to win that series is going to win the finals. Now in this time around, you have LeBron, you have Davis, you have the bigger Lakers. I'm not, I'm not counting them out, but I just think the Bucks and the Heat, are, the Bucks and the Nets are the two best teams right now. And I've seen everything I wanted to see from the Bucks. I, I thought they're going to win. I wagered on them. Um, I expected them to win, but they're, they've demolished the heat. The holiday thing is so important. Rob, what's been the thing that's jumped out to you in this, in these first three games? I love it. I am basking in the glow of all the bucks respect on this pod right now. This is, mm. this is a beautiful I moment. You like it. I do like it. I mean, I th- for me, the collision course between the Nets, the Bucks, and the Sixers was always the most interesting thing all throughout the season leading into the playoffs. This is what I was looking forward to is these two rounds and how those three teams end up playing each other. I, I think what was what's most interesting about this matchup tactically is just the way the Bucks have completely flipped the Giannis wall against Bam. And they've completely neutralized him in a way where I almost think last year the Bucks didn't fully appreciate how good Bam was or at least they didn't fully appreciate what made him so good and now they they've really teched in on his strengths and weaknesses they've they're really playing him about as effectively as anyone can and when I knew the Heat were in trouble in this particular game is when Bam had Bobby Portis on the baseline about 15 feet from the basket and Bobby Portis just backed all the way up and Bam had nothing to do he had nowhere to go that is a gigantic problem and, you know, Kevin O'Connor did a great video about this for The Ringer today, kind of outlining what Bam's next steps can be. And I think mm. that's got to be a huge part of the Heat's formula going forward. But the reality is the Bucks have had the three best players in this series so far. Yeah. There's just no way for the Heat to win if that's going to that's gonna be the case. And I think that that was kind of lurking in the background of all the noise going on with Milwaukee all season. That was a team that they had injuries. They had you know, Drew Holiday out with the health and safety protocols. They were trying all this new stuff with their defense and their offense, trying to figure themselves out. The, some of the players on that team felt really confident with the way they ended up in terms of the standings and the win-loss and their, you know, some of the bigger metrics, given everything that had been going on, saying, if that was the noise of our season and we still ended up doing pretty well, what is it going to look like when all the numbers, all the experience with Drew and Chris and Giannis on the floor say this team is really freaking good? And now we're seeing what that looks like when those guys can trade off and and at the same time just completely lock the heat up defensively, which I think is the most important part of that game. Is Bucks Nets the finals for you, Kyle? 
Uh, well, there was another one you forgot in there too. What 2018 Warriors Rockets was pretty, was that the 0 for 27 game? The one that series that was, was so pretty, that was conference finals. The yeah. next year was round two and we felt like that was going to be the finals, but then, um, the Durant never came back and right. Clay got hurt in the finals, but he, in the moment it was like, wow, round two, this is the finals. And <laughs> then Toronto wins the title. So that's, that's the rub with this question, but. It yeah. does feel like this could be considered retroactively in September. Like we'll look back and we're like, yeah, Bucks Nets, that was it. I mean, it's going to be incredible. I I can't <laughs> I can't wait. I, I'm kind of just going to echo what Rob said. And that just you asked him what stood out, and Rob said, "I love it." That was his answer. Uh, <laughs> I do love it. I can't help myself. <laughs> he just I love it and just started hitting his head. Uh, yeah. So I yeah, it's th- that. That's going to be must see TV in terms of like basketball. If you're if you're just a hardcore basketball fan, regardless of who you root for, I mean the Lakers fans are going to take umbrage with with your with your question. I think for sure because it's going Good. to be it's fuck gonna, those guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I said yeah, that I wasn't agreeing with Bill. You guys can aim that at Bill, not me. <laughs> anyway, so I uh, no, I mean I think it's a case of Milwaukee is it's it's two things at once. Milwaukee is going hardcore this direction in a positive direction, and Miami. Like the fact that when you take away that uphill gravity of like coming up to guard, bam, like their whole offense was predicated on that. It's like literally just like Kali Ma reaching in and pulling their heart out. Like nothing, nothing is going to function if you can't get the pressure uphill to, to guard bam. Like, because a lot of their three man game was bam comes up and sets a screen and the big guys up. Well, when Lopez hangs back, those three man actions are just rolling downhill like a like a grease trap into like into into that's a horrible metaphor, but into into Lopez and he's just walled up standing there and and that just negates it. And I, I think on the other flip side of that is that Milwaukee is just much more balanced. And this was like the simple thing that like that's what a secondary playmaker does for somebody like like Giannis is that like their whole thing was like just aiming downhill, relentless pressure downhill, and then and then kicking to shooters. Well, I was watching tonight, man. Their offense was so fluid. They're always like one switch away from having like a great player drive to the basket that can create. And they didn't have that last year because whenever Bledsoe, a they had like older shooters out there that couldn't attack. When you were watching them play Miami, like they throw it, everybody would just catch it standing flat footed, and like they would never get any separation. And it's like tonight, I was watching them. I think every shot they took in the first quarter was in rhythm. And if they didn't hit it, they got the rebound and then they got another one. Uh, Miami just looked lost. They couldn't generate the offense. Their guys, the guys that would orbit Bam in the sense that we were talking about, they look less confident like you were talking about. And uh, yeah, they just really, really struggled to score. And it was, it was eye-opening. It was an ass-kicking, all-out ass-kicking. My Celtics buddy, Hench, texted me at halftime and was just so upset about at that point, Dragic, Duncan Robinson, Hero, and then Jay Crowder in the first half of the Laker game, they were combined eight for 35. And he was like, where the fuck was this during the Easter finals last year when all of these guys were just unconscious? And I, it does feel like we're going to look back at that bubble run they had where it was like, Dragic, that's the best he's looked in, I don't know, five years, something like that. Robinson and, and Hero were both having these moments and they really miss Crowder. Like the the Crowder to Ariza Iguodala drop off has been massive. But um I'm 
I'm actually getting retroactively more bummed out about that Celtics series. <laughs> Hero has that crazy game. Iguodala has the game and the lat the clinchy game. He hits five threes. Like you just go back and then bam, who we couldn't figure out how to defend that whole series. And Milwaukee solved it in five minutes. And uh, and now now Bam has to go back to the drawing board that KOC put on that video. But I I, I got retroactively bummed out about it. For, if you're the Heat, what, what do you first of all? Do you feel like you missed an opportunity to trade for somebody who wasn't Oladipo? Like, should you have gone in for Lowry? Because I kind of feel like this is okay. I would I would have rather have not made that trade. I didn't mind the Oladipo trade. I don't think I would have gone all in because I don't think it was going to make a difference anyway. They weren't going to beat Milwaukee this year. What would you have done, Rob? Well, they might still get Lowry. You know, mm. there's, there's always, especially with Miami in particular and the way they work as a free agent destination, there's always a longer game in play. And they're a team that historically has been able to move salary whenever they need to move it to get whoever they need to get in those situations. So I wouldn't count them out of any kind of big picture plans in terms of who's available. But yeah, the Oladipo thing was not going to move the needle in this series. I was actually thinking about that during this game. If you have Oladipo catching in some of these situations that Hero or Robinson or maybe the one spot would be if you could take Trevor Reza off the floor a little more and have someone more dynamic in that position. Because having Ariza out there is really what, it's what allowed Milwaukee to hide their worst defenders in a lot of cases. Yeah. It's, you know, they got to sneak Bryn Forbes on the floor to run pick and roll with Giannis. That inverted Bryn Forbes, Giannis pick and roll is just brutal to guard. And the only way you can do it is you have to attack Bryn Forbes and they couldn't do it. That's one thing the Nets will do relentlessly. And that's going to be the big difference in that kind of matchup is with these role players on the Bucks. If, they're, if the Nets are able to kind of pick and choose who they want to attack a little bit more and go at those guys with three of the best isolation players in basketball, can Bryn Forbes stay on the floor? Can Dante DiVincenzo hold up in a series? I have no idea, but I don't think it would have made a difference one way or another what Miami did. They weren't they weren't getting out against a Bucks team that's defending like this. The reason thing's funny because it's almost like an actor that you see in a movie that in your head is younger, but then you realize it's like, oh, that guy's 51 now. It's like if you saw the Friends reunion on HBO Max, it's like, oh, Matt LeBlanc is now now a middle-aged guy in his mid-50s. Wow, that's weird. I just saw him on Netflix the other day and he was young. Ariza's 35. Um, just in the last four years, he played for Houston, Phoenix, Washington, Portland, Sacramento, Miami. This is just in the last, since the 2018 season. Um, he hasn't been good in two years, but I, and, and it should have been a much bigger red flag that heading into these playoffs, he was playing 30 minutes a game, but it's like, Oh, it's Trevor Ariza. He's veteran. He's been around. It's like him and Iguodala, like you against a team that's as athletic as the bucks are, that's suicide to play those guys. The amount of time they're playing, they just see, and they had no plan B and, you know, in a weird way, this probably works out okay for them, but it's, it's funny how. Milwaukee goes from this traumatic bubble loss to now they the sweep lock it down that like that not only will they sweep but I could see that being a twenty point game Kyle they they've won the last nine quarters Milwaukee <laughs> dating back to the OT in game one every quarter they've won this has been a demolition yeah they they it seems like they have really taken this personally where I was just kind of like, like I like to watch the lead kind of like where it goes you know because you don't want to. They haven't even let like they haven't even let Miami get moral victories. Like they 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 like won't even let the lead get down to twenty. They just kept pushing it out and out and out and and like attacking. And what really struck me 
about this game is that they have some really like legit shot creators. I mean, like on this team, like, I mean, Middleton probably still doesn't get enough cre- like credit for how great a shot creator he is. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, Holiday, I think mm-hmm. it should just, he's, he's fantastic. But what really struck me is that like throughout this game, they were just running their offense. Like they have some guys that can go get you late clock buckets and their offense was so unbothered that they never, it never even came to that. So I, I like, it just shows me that like, they have another gear potentially that they could go to against some of these better teams that they're going to face. And the Brooklyn thing is interesting because, you know, yeah, they're going to, Brooklyn's going to be able to pick on some of the things that they do, but Milwaukee offensively is playing so well now because they're so dynamic because they have creators at like their one, you know, their two, three, four spots um, that they're going to, they're going to force Brooklyn to guard them. I mean, you know that for sure. I'm glad you brought up holiday because that was the final question before we go that I had for you guys. Drew Holiday, underrated for years. The go-to guy for the, that guy's so underrated example. The advanced metrics community loved him more than I think the average fan. Playoff performance was a little spotty. It was always a question of, well, if he was so good, why, why didn't him and Anthony Davis translate to a title? I think just what we've seen this season and even just in this series, I think we can officially say Drew Holiday is properly rated. I think everyone's like, wow, Drew Holiday is fucking awesome. So I think we have to retire him. Rob, who is now the <laughs> new champion of, I can't believe how underrated that guy is. People don't understand how good he is. Who who takes the torch? See, I don't know if I'm moving on until we really get the choruses of people from the streets chanting Drew Holiday is fucking awesome. So we're when, not there yet. We, so, no. So we, we need still, him to shut down Kyrie in round two for a game, and then that's yeah. officially when it happens. This is exa- yeah. We need the qu- the full internet quorum when he shuts down Kyrie. That that'll be the moment. But or when I'm, he guards Harden and Kyrie in back to back games oof. and shuts down Harden in game two and Kyrie in game three. He's gonna have some of those possessions too, where they're like screening for each other, and he's guarding whoever has the ball for the full twenty four seconds between those two guys, and <laughs> <Right>. it's just <laughs> unbelievable. He 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 might have been the best player in this series so far. I agree. And, and some of it is, you know, there are the moments where I mean I call them like the not Eric Bledsoe moments where it's, you know, he the ball swings to him and it's clear this is his moment to do something in a position where Eric Bledsoe would have not. That's he's been great and delivered in those, been a great playmaker, great driver. But for me, it's all the other stuff. It's the times where you're not really paying attention to what Drew Holiday's doing, and then he veers in and cuts off a fast break and completely saves a possession. Or he digs out a loose ball. Or he's just flying all over the place making reads you wouldn't expect him to read. It's the unexpected stuff that's really sung for me. And I I, I don't know that he could be much better through these couple games so far. Yeah. Rob didn't answer my question, so Kyle, you have to answer it. <laughs> well, who's, I was gonna... who, who's the new guy? Who's Who gets the torch from Drew? I was going to say Nemanja Behalitsa. That's that was my answer. <laughs> um, he obviously came out and Milton burled the you know this the fourth quarter of yeah, that game. He did. He 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 let everybody know if I had played more, this series would be a lot different. Yeah. I'd be averaging forty five minutes a game. Yeah, I don't know who the new underrated guy is. It it might be somebody like 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 Jonas Valanciunas. He's been getting buzzed lately. Might be like yeah. sending his resume to the underrated committee, being like, hey, man, nobody ever talks about me, what's going on here. But if that Utah series goes longer and longer, um, who knows? Well, um, and Mike Conley made his all-star game. Like, we can't even put him on the list anymore. Yeah. Mike really, Conley gave it the torch to Drew Holiday. It's true. 
So I don't know yeah. who it is. If if people uh, send send Kyle and Rob tweets, I don't check my Twitter. <laughs> send send those guys tweets if you have nominees for who the next uh, underrated guy. Uh, before we go, are we going to have a Clippers funeral tomorrow night or a rejuvenation? Somewhere in between. We're go- we're going to limp into another day. It's not a thing. You know? So you <laughs> I think, think it's going to be one or the other? So you I think the Clippers win tomorrow night? I think they're going to win, but not in particularly inspiring fashion. Yeah. Interesting. I, mean, I actually think the I think the Mavs I think Luca at home with 15,000 people in a playoff game with fans for the first time in his life cannot be discounted as a monkey wrench for tomorrow night. Yeah, he's going to be going for it for sure. I mean, what Rob and I were talking about this earlier that like the Clippers offensively, I was like looking at some of their they've generated what it was it like the second most open threes they the, offensively open they've shots, been yeah. fun oh bill do you know who's who's generated the fewest open threes in the playoffs could you take a guess <laughs> uh who is it the boston celtics yeah i just figured oh, you should know that That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> well a little stray there for you but yeah i I, I'm going to be really curious to see if Luca c- can do this, like because he is he's having kind of a this series has has really opened my eyes, and he it's really amazing because I was an extreme believer in him, and for him to compete like continue to like defy an extreme believer, even like the post game stuff that he's added, I, I feel like I might write or make a video about this. Just like the adding the post game at 22 mm. is bonkers i mean it's just bonkers like the, are we the, sure he's not like 29 <laughs> i don't know man <laughs> he's very that, true, they, like what happened in those first two clipper games really did had no correlation to pretty much anything that's happened in the league yeah that that's the uh, sophistication he, was so mm. unusual and so fucking bizarre and surreal i i i couldn't get over it because the clips fully expected to win that game like they like Kawhi was like we're winning tonight Here's my 30 point first half. Luke was like, cool. He he didn't even budge. Go ahead, Rob. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, I just think he's adapted to the cadence of playoff basketball about as seamlessly as anyone we've ever seen. And certainly yeah. in, in terms of modern players, like the as you were saying, Bill, the level of sophistication and control over a game. This isn't a guy coming in and playing like good energy minutes, having like one great night, and then he kind of tapers off. Every game, every possession is completely unsolvable. Yeah. Against some of the best wing defenders out there, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that there's that much precedent for a player like that because even the crazy, you know, ball dominating playmakers we've seen in the past, they have some growing pains. You know, the James Hardens, even the Lebrons, have growing pains in a way that we just haven't seen Luca have yet. Maybe those are reserved for later rounds and tougher opponents. <laughs> crazy that I'm saying tougher opponents when they're playing the Clippers right now, but that's the reality of the echelon that Luca puts the Mavs in. Well, he did something really, truly extraordinary in game two. He made Porzingis seem happy and excited to be there, which I didn't think was possible. There was like smile and energy. If he could rejuvenate Porzingis, the fucking sky's the limit for the Mavericks, right? Extremely good vibes. Extremely good vibes coming out of the Mavs right now. Did you notice that? Porzingis was like congratulating teammates. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, had good, he, he had good body language. Yeah, good, he, good he really vibes. did. He might have saved Porzingis. It's more impressive than the uh, triple doubles. All right. Uh, you can read Rob on the ringer.com. You can check out Kyle on... Uh, what was the last... When did you post the last video? Today. Today we did a Chris Paul. We did a really, really timely thing about Chris Paul's durability and longevity that was out today. (laughs) (laughs) So go check that out. Uh, 
Anyway. And both of you guys are on the Ringer NBA show as well, which is cranking during the playoffs. We are going to be reacting on that show pretty much every night. And we also have the mismatch with KOC as well. Good to see you guys. Thanks for staying up late. Thanks, Bill. My pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside. LDA, 21 and up. All right. Wesley Morris is here. My old friend from Grantland. He's at the New York Times now. And we're going to talk about Kate Winslet. But you went to Nick's game one. You were... At MSG with 15,000 people and a very fest is that they lost that one. They won game two, but, um, you were with, uh, you were with people again. What was it like? It was, it was really something, Bill. I mean, I will say as a Philadelphian who has no fealty whatsoever to the New York Knicks, um, I'm a big fan of, of, you know, 1990s era Knicks. Yeah. Um, just culturally, right? I don't even know. I mean, I guess I saw some important playoff games, but I don't know what was going on with the Knicks in nineteen nine in the nineteen nineties. But just you know, I went with my friend Greg, who is a big Knicks fan. He wore his Knicks T shirt and everything. Um, we, you know, it was just it was one of those things where, like, I definitely felt like I was in a foreign country, even though I I've lived in this city for almost eight years. <laughs> um, I you know, this is a class of man that I'm like intimately familiar with, but just being deluged with all of them at the same time. Um, and just the exp, just the hope that was, that was the, the excitement was so strong going in there. And, um, it was really, it was really special. Just high five and strangers getting beer spilled on me because people were really excited. Um, you know, nobody was wearing a mask and that felt great because the assumption, you couldn't get in if you weren't, if you didn't have a vaccination card or proof of yep. vaccination somehow. Um, but, you know, my the only downside besides the actual loss, and there was that moment where Derek Rose, it's, he tied the game. I, th- I don't know if they led in game one. And if they did, it was like for like one for two for two points for like 10 seconds. Um, but Derek Rose, I think he either tied it up or he got them ahead for a second with like 30 seconds to go. Maybe he tied it up. He tied it up. Um, given, you know, that last shot at the end. Um, ties it up. Everybody goes crazy, but not quite out of their minds because I think they knew. Which Trey. Yep. They knew it was, they knew they probably weren't going to win. So I would have much rather traded in game one for game two because the energy, the energy that night, I mean, the dip was so deep, but the, the climb out of that reservoir of, of, of just, you know, despondence was so much, was so much greater. I'm glad you're here to talk about this specific subject as we relating to the Knicks, you know, Spike Lee, most famous fan they have been courtside for 30 years. But now he's old, right? He's a little long in the tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he's still celebrating like he's a 30-year-old guy. (laughs) But I'm not worried he's going to get hurt. He's trying to jump up and down, but he's only getting one inch off the ground. I feel like he might pull an Achilles. I I think for next year, if the Knicks are going to make a longer run, I think we got to go personal trainer, trainer, yoga, Pilates, maybe some working in the sand to build up like his calves. So when he's, so he can get a little elevation and not look like he's going to teeter over. I'm just (laughs) concerned. I'm concerned about his welfare. Spike, we need you stay healthy. And you know, don't get hurt, Spike. You got movies to make. Don't, don't like blow out an Achilles. I mean, I don't, Spike, are you finished with the Viagra musical is my question. Like, should you, I mean, do you have time? I mean, look, I think Spike Lee would definitely just go for permanent life altering injury to get the Knicks a championship at this point. Right. Don't you think? Yeah, but I'm, I'm just worried. I don't want him to get hurt and then like be on crutches sitting in his seat, like a sad old guy, you know, during a playoff game. That's what he's just pace yourself, Spike Lee. Don't jump all the time. Maybe do one jump a game. Just, I, I'm just worried about him. Well, can I ask a question? Cause does this, like, let's say that, I mean, all right, let's just, let's just play out two scenarios. Let's say the Knicks actually get out around one. I would and, be, I just for the record, I would be surprised if that happened. Okay. I think Atlanta has a better team, but the, they, they, the Knicks, if they can just get it to game seven, the crowd will win that game for them. Yeah. I I'm, I'm agreeing with you. But let's say that, you know, let's say they, let's say they lose in round one, likely to happen. Um, Does the team stay together? Mm. And if they do stay together, I feel like, I I just feel like this cannot, this has to be something that, that lasts and can be built upon because I just, just, I, I don't, I'm not saying like, I'm not saying anything terribly deep to anybody who is a Knicks fan and listens to you talk about playoffs, but I, having witnessed what I witnessed uh, on Sunday afternoon and evening, I think that that team owes those people, those fans, so much Mm. that they, I just have never, I've been to a lot of sporting events. I was in Toronto when they beat Golden State um, to get that title, and the place was like, Delirious. The place was shaking. The stadium was rocking. Even that night does not compare to just the depth of um, of hope and like excitement just for this to have happened at all. The gratitude. I know. I just, I just feel like this is a city that's been so fucked by the management of that team, and they deserve so much better than they get. And the idea that. You're just going to like, if the, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen, but like selling, breaking that team apart and selling it for parts is just, that to me would be unconscionable. We were talking about this on John Jastrzemski's, um, we, I did locker room with them last night from the New York, New York pod. And we were talking about how long we, you have people in that crowd, right? There's a difference. There's a gratefulness Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. goes with the fan base when they just haven't even had a good game to go to. And now it's like, you know, you have somebody who took their son when their son was six, seven to like one Carmelo playoff game. And it was like, not even that great. And now the kid's in high school and has like never, really never been to a good good Knicks playoff game where you have somebody who's 25 years old who has no memory of even like the 1999 finals or any of that team. So there's, there's this, as you said, gratefulness crossed with like just euphoria um, yes, just to, that's just the that word. you're at the game. 
They yes. be like, oh my yes. god, I'm at a yes. good Knicks playoff game, and you can I'm really watching feel the it. Knicks both those in games. late May, holy mother of God, what did I do to deserve this? Now I will also say, Bill, that these are the same people who, when the game was over, were outside. Not everybody, but like in pockets. I heard a lot of Trey is gay. Oh. Uh, you know, I heard a lot of Trey is gay. And it was one of those things where like I was I was leaving with Greg and I was like, Greg, what do we do? He's like, you got to keep walking. <laughs> you just got to, you got to, we just got to go home. I'm going to go to my place. You're going to go to your place. But I turned around. And I was like, you know, I thought about just being like you guys. Come on. What if Trey is gay? It's 2021. Who cares? That's a slur. That's a meaningful slur. You, I mean, I, I, but I let it go. I didn't, I didn't pursue it. I'm not going to defend that. I will it's say it, it feels like, and we saw it with the popcorn with Westbrook. It feels like the fans are almost learning how to behave in public again. Mm-hmm. We, everyone was holed up for 15 months. It's like, yeah, hey, dude, yeah. when you're in public, there's, there's things you just can't do. You're not in your house anymore, like on an internet message board. Like you're, the, we're all human beings again. Like, let's go. Yeah. Let's figure this well, out. Yeah, I didn't hear it in the stadium. So I didn't hear it during the game. So there's that. There's that. Yeah. Um, You know, you talked about, you asked me about whether they can break up the Knicks and like what the plan is with that. Just quickly. Mm -hmm. I do think they they feel like as an organization that they've stumbled on a blueprint that works where it's like they're going after specific types of people, Mm -hmm. these hardworking culture guys who just want to be on good teams and want to put in all the work that don't have you know, an attitude, don't have these crazy expectations, don't have an entourage, don't have an agency, you know, trying to force somebody's hand, people that are just, they, they, that just kind of get it, that just right. get the concept of like, all right, you're part of something, put in the work. And I think those are the guys they're going to go after. Like, I don't think this is going to be a situation where they trade RJ Barrett this summer for some, you know, sometimes unhappy superstar who on paper makes you better, yep. but now brings yep. this baggage with them. Yep. I think they're going to be really careful how they do this and try to keep it open so that you saw LeBron tweet last night about how great that crowd was, which was ironic. Cause it's like, that could have been his crowd. Yep. He had yep. it. Yep. He had yep. it in his hands in 2010, decided to go to Miami. Um, but um, the, the players all saw that crowd and mm-hmm. they're going to, mm-hmm. at some point there's going to be a really good player who's a free agent or last year of his deal, who would be like, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that atmosphere. So they've been able to flip the Dolan narrative in basically a year. Yeah. Where the Knicks seem like a fun place to play again. And if you had Durant and Kyrie becoming free agents this summer, guess where they would go? They would go to the Knicks. Now, would you want those guys? I don't know. I don't know. What is that? I I mean, I guess, okay. Keep, Keep what you got. And don't do that thing where like, you know, my favorite analogy for anything that's too much in the world is the T-bone steak that gets brought over to Fred Flintstone's car and flips the whole thing over during the closing credits of the Flintstones. Yeah. Um, don't don't T-bone steak it either, right? Like, it, to your point, like, get the right people. I don't exactly, I don't know. You know better than I do who the right people are, but I well, just there's, there's feel Kawhi like... there's possibilities now. Oh, Kawhi, Kawhi's now... Okay. It's just like if the Clippers thing goes south, he's a free agent. He could just be like, this didn't work. I'm out. Where do I go? And yeah. it's like, no, come here. That, come to the Knicks. That's straight up exciting. And I will say, when you and when you and Dave Jacoby were talking the other day um, about how nobody in New York cares about the Nets <laughs> relative to the Knicks, yeah, um, that is real. 
that is a real thing. And it's so crazy. But that's how deep the Knicks thing is. And I was talking to some New Jersey friends who were like, do you guys, what do you do? And I was talking to my friend Greg about this too. Like, what do you, do you, do New Jersey people transfer to the loyalty and the passion? They're not going to the Knicks, obviously. So I guess they're Nets fans. Um, but it's just such a difference in terms of like, I live down the street from Barclays and I have yet to experience like traffic nightmares. I mean, people are at the games, obviously, but just the energy is so different when you go to like to Penn Station <laughs> or MSG. I don't know. It's just wild. You're talking, it's just wild. You're talking 75 years. Yes, you're talking yes, generations. Yes, yes, yes. And great, my great grandfather was a Knicks fan and shit like that. You can't compete with that. It'd be like if there was a second baseball team in Boston the team would have no chance. I, I think <laughs> the Knicks point. haven't been successful, but that doesn't mean they're not like beloved. And that, and it's also the biggest city we have in America. Um, they have the most basketball fans. They've just been really unhappy and laying low the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, yeah. let's take a, we'll take a quick break and we're talking about Kate Winslet. Yes. This episode is brought to you by Burger King, which has the greatest commercial song. I think I've ever heard. The ultimate hunger hack has arrived, my friends. BK's Royal Crispy Wraps. Choose from four bold flavors, classic, spicy, honey mustard, and the new, drumroll please, fiery buffalo. Oh yeah, I'm getting that one. They're only, only just $2.99 each because at BK, have it your way, you rule. Try Royal Crispy Wraps at Burger King, $2.99 each. Price and participation vary, U.S. only. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions, but right now I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. All right, coming back. So you and I both love Mayor of Easttown on HBO, and we can do some spoiler alerts for that sh for that show at the end. And if people have, I need a spoiler alert because I'm one behind. I have not seen. I'm. I've seen the first five. I have not seen episode six, obviously, and I've nobody's seen that. Okay, seven. well, we. I. I'm not a huge fan of guessing what happens on a TV show, and then three days later, the show happens. And right, right. I'd rather talk about Kate Winslet. So oh, we were texting. And I was wondering, and you're the right person to answer this. Is this the best actress of the last 30 years? Oh, so that takes us to shit. That takes us to, yeah, no, I was, I was, I kept this in my pocket. I wanted to spring this on you. So that takes us back to 1991. Oh so we God. have the following people in play. Um, oh, man. We have Nicole Kidman. Mm -hmm. We have Kate Blanchett. Mm -hmm. We have Frances McDormand. Mm hmm. Um, we have like first 10 years of her career already happened. Glenn close. Mm -hmm. And then we have first 15 years of her career happened. Meryl Streep. I'm removing Meryl Streep because Meryl Streep is the greatest actor or actress of all time. Yeah. Take close and Streep out different eras. 
Um, yes. I want to keep, I mean, for me, it's an era thing, right? You might not even have to go 30 years, right? So let's go, let's say, I was thinking mid-90s, so 30 may, is a round number, but she comes let's in. Let's go to she 94 comes, when Heavenly Creatures comes out. Perfect. Okay, so we'll, we'll say from mid-90s on. So just for the people listening who don't know the Kate, because we, we don't talk about movies like we talk about sports. She has four Best Actress nominations and three Best Supporting nominations. She won one Best Actress. But it all starts in 94. 94 to 96, she has Heavenly Creatures, Sense of Sensibility, Hamlet. And then Titanic and blows up. Yes. And I think what's so fascinating about her career, and I know the reason you love her the most, is Titanic happens. That's a fork in the road. Your career can go one of two ways. Yep. She turns down Shakespeare in Love. She turns down Anne and the King. She does Hideous Kinky and Holy Smoke. This is why Which I love are her. two of the most fucked up movies she could have possibly picked. And she's just like, I'm planting my flag. This is who I am. And yep. this has been her career ever since. That specific yep. choice says everything. But when you think about her, we could talk about her versus all the other actresses, but just just sum up like what she's meant the last since the mid-90s. I mean. Well, I mean, she, the fork in the road is a really interesting, well, first of all, technique, right? She's got, she's got like secretly good technique. Um, but mostly what you get is a kind of sensuousness, at least in the beginning, right? I'd say heavenly creatures all the way through maybe little children in 2006 and, and the holiday perhaps. No, the reader. Oh my God. All the way through the reader. So 94 to 2008, um, when she makes The Reader and Revolutionary Road. Revolutionary Road, not a comedy. Not a comedy. <laughs> Neither was The Reader. <laughs> Neither was Two The Reader. Two non-comedies. Neither was The Reader. Um, the, Kate Winslet's thing is this combination of sensuality and intelligence. And for a lot of, the, of that 14 years... She was a body actress, meaning her physicality was incredibly important to the role. Um, or she, I mean, not to the role as written, but like to her conception of what the role was going to be. Um, she, I remember I had a sort of intellectual contest with myself about like, who was more... <sighs> who was more bodacious in terms of like the way their body was used in movies, her or Jennifer Lopez, who also became a huge star, like before, you know, like, a, a, like during the Kate Winslet run, but where like the body was as important to the thing as, as, um, as anything else. Um, and nobody thinks about it. Like you watch a movie like Holy Smoke or, a movie like Hideous Kinky or even Titanic, her physicality or Jude, which is like this adaptation of the Thomas Hardy book, not a great movie, not a great adaptation of a, of a great, great book, but she's really good at it. Um, Sense and Sensibility. There's so much about what she's doing in these movies that's, are, that's about the people in the movies desiring her, but also her sort of owning the looking that people are doing at her. Um, and she's just, she is a very sexy person. And, you know, for those 14 years, the way that those parts work were, you know, the character, the character's sexuality is incredibly important to the role itself. Um, and the character's, you know, like figurative and, and, and literal nudity, 
um, is really important to these parts too. Um, Which is a big nobody, thing of our playbook. She's completely unafraid. Yes, yes, to yes. Do whatever it takes in a movie. And I think out of everyone we've had in the last 30 years, she's the one, she's a 10 out of 10 on whatever that contest is. Well, let's put her in the class, right? The class is Kidman, who you mentioned, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, Marion Cotillard, and uh, uh, um, I'm missing a person. Francis McDormand. And then there's some other ones that should be in there, but like like Viola Davis, who we've discussed, like just didn't have the parts until the last seven years, but I feel like could have been. Yes. In this, yes. she just hasn't had enough of a career of great roles yet. Right. Um, I think that that, you know, Kidman, Kidman, Paltrow, Winslet, Cotillard. Well, Paltrow's and, our big our big miss with this, because she right. just she she went the other direction. She could have had it and she didn't want it. Right. I complicated feelings about didn't want it, but you but but for our purposes, yes, didn't want it. Um but there's a there's another person who's really obvious who I'm totally missing. Uh, who is the same age as like the all these women are basically the same. Kate Blanchett. Blanchett. There we go. You mentioned her, right? Okay, that's the person who's like now we're done. We can. We and can that's her. That's her rival, right? If you're gonna look at like this generationally, they they basically have the same nominations. You you could have flipped them in certain parts, not all of them. Um, and I think she treats her career a lot like Kate Winslet did, where she's just like I'm picking movies and roles that. Um, appeal to me. I'm not trying to be a commercial actress. Right. But I think the difference between Blanchett and, and Winslet is that the perception of Kate Blanchett is that she's a, like, she's a very serious actress. Yep. And I too kind of buy into that idea a little bit when I see her in something like Thor Ragnarok and I'm like, wait, what? She's in this? What's she doing here? Um, whereas Kate Winslet I mean, I would be surprised to see her in that movie too, but I also would have seen her in, you know, Hideous Kinky, which is a really, I mean, I don't know. I feel like all Jane Campion is kind of underrated at this point. Uh, We're not Hideous Kinky. Sorry. Holy Smoke. Holy Smoke. Holy Smoke. Holy Smoke is like underrated Jane Campion. The the movie is kind of, it goes off the rails, but it basically is her versus Harvey Keitel in like a spiritual death match. Um, like a fight for for that care for the Kate Winslet's character's soul, essentially. And I just think that Kate Blanchett during this period is like following a much more classical mold. Um, like there's a path that exists for a person like Kate Blanchett, at least until the Bob Dylan movie. And she like she does the 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 Todd Haynes um I'm not there movie, and then uh Notes on a Scandal. Oh my, did you see Notes on a Scandal? Yeah. Okay. I think when Kate Kate Blanchett like kind of goes a little trashy, um, which notes in the scandal if no one listening has seen this movie, <laughs> treat yourself. Um, but I think Winslet was always down to be whatever the movie needed um, in a in a slightly grittier way than Kate Blanchett. Um, and we don't think of Kate Blanchett. We don't think of Kate Winslet in the same sort of with the same sort of toniness, um, like as an heir to like a Meryl Streep, for instance. We don't think of her that way. Um, whereas with Kate Blanchett, we do. Um, and right. mostly a lot of a lot of the reason for that is because the parts kind of warranted. She played Catherine Hepburn. She won an Oscar for playing Catherine Hepburn. You know, she played Blue Jasmine, which basically that character is essentially a Vivian Lee character. Um, 
you know, in a Tennessee Williams play. So it's, you know, I mean, Kate Winslet is also, I mean, Blanchett is going for it in a different way than, you know, Kate is Kate, is Kate Blanchett making the holiday? I don't know. Well, that that's what's so weird about her career is like all the, she does all those choices, like the Jane Campion movies and things like that. But then this is later in her career, obviously. And she's, she had stopped acting for a little while and she's coming back, but she's, Kate Blanchett would not have made the mountain between us with Idris Elba. <laughs> it's just not happening. Oh, well, maybe to sit with Idris Elba for a little bit. I think Kate Blanchett might have done that. You think so? That's such a <laughs> weird movie. Um, I mean, it's not like Kate Blanchett doesn't have any fun in her work, but yeah, I mean, uh, well, she yeah, she's a little run. more she's a little more strategic. She has this run. So the Titanic thing happens. She has the fork. And what that movie did to her and Leo is pretty fascinating, right? Because mm-hmm, Leo doesn't mm-hmm, act for a mm-hmm. couple of years. Then he's in the beach and he ba- it takes him like six years to regroup before he starts ripping off that next run of great movies that he makes. She makes, she makes, you know, um, holy smoke. She does quills in 2000, stuff like quills. that. Quills! Then in 04, 06, she rips off Eternal Sunshine, Finding mm-hmm. Neverland, Little mm-hmm. Children, and The Holiday. In yeah. three years. And that was when she kind of restaked the flag as, I'm here, um, 2008, the reader revolutionary road. So that that five-year run is better than I think Kate Blanchett did. Um, yes. Just for a variety. The Holiday, I just don't think Kate Blanchett I would have bought her in that movie in the same way. And that, I think, has turned out to be, if you're doing 21st century rom-coms, that are probably the most beloved, at least for my wife and people. Juliet Littman. And Juliet Littman. Like that, I think that is an OG... <laughs> Probably the probably the favorite in the finals if you're doing 21st century oh rom com tournament, Nancy right? Myers wins again. Oh, good lord. Okay, fine. I, I accept. I accept. I accept. That is a beloved movie. Um, uh, it is, and you know, it's funny. It was it was beloved at the time, but it has really grown. Um, it's grown. It's gone leaps and bounds over its initial popularity. So then, this decade, she had some kids. Uh-huh. She did Mildred Pierce on TV, won an Emmy, did Contagion, which she's really good in. And that's also really good a fascinating K Winslet performance. Then this decade. Can I pause you for one second? Yeah. There is a subcategory of Kate Winslet movies in which Kate Winslet like takes one for the team in the mm. movie. Like, how many movies has Kate Winslet died sacrificially in? Um, oh, yeah. At least five. Yeah, I mean, it, just Kate Winslet dying is such a is is also a thing in the movies. Anyway, continue. Well, if 2014 and 17, it goes off the rails a little bit, right? Steve Jobs, Divergent, Collateral Beauty, Mountain Between Us, and start. And this is look, she's she's moving in her 40s. This happens with actresses; the parts change. This is why I feel like uh, Mayor of Easttown is so important mm-hmm, because. Mm-hmm. She's gonna win an Emmy for it. Like I'm just, I'm, ca- I'm calling it now. If she doesn't win the Emmy for this, I'd be, I'd be stunned. But uh oh, wait. But you know, can I like, you know, who her competition's gonna be? Who? Because this is a limited series, right? Yeah. Who is it? It's gonna be her, and Michaela Cole. Uh-oh. From I will destroy, I may destroy you. <sighs> that's gonna be rough because Michaela Cole. That's just the best piece of acting I saw last year. Period. 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 That's tough because Kate. Kate's already won. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, maybe I maybe that'll Nicole, be a battle. Michaela Cole, if she's nominated, there's also a scenario in which neither of these women gets nominated, but I, I don't no, want to live in that nominated. world. Um, yes. I think what's 
what's cool about this role, first of all, her as a former high school basketball player just <laughs> delighted me to no end. She's married, made the made the, the championship winning shot. She's the captain, the last person introduced. It's this whole backstory of like, can we get the Kate Winslet, uh, the 25th anniversary reunion game? Can we see Kate like just running up down the floor like Julius Randle? Really, I feel like it. she would do that and learn how to play basketball yep. over the course yep. of three months. You made months this point, and I really, I heard you say it, and I was like, I agree. I want to see that footage because she would definitely do it. It might even exist. But her physicality, which goes back to your point about how she uses her body, and I totally agree with her and JLo as as the two that kind of figured it out the most. Christina Hendricks would be the other one I threw in for yes. different reasons. Ding, ding, ding. Um, Excellent point. But um, with her in this, it's it's this middle-aged woman. You could tell she feels like she peaked physically 20 years before and she's mm -hmm. carrying it in the movie. She's just, Yes, yes, yes. And then they injure her. So now she's got the ankle injury. So now she's limping around. She's out of shape. She probably hasn't worked out in 20 years. She's got all this damage. She's got the backstory with, with uh, her son mm -hmm. and the divorce. And it's just like the perfect Kate Winslet part. Just a shitload of baggage. She's got to navigate stuff. She's still, there's a sexuality lurking inside her that yes. she's got to figure. Yes. Guy Pierce is trying to unlock a little bit there. Um, but it's really, it's, she's playing, she's playing all the hits of the Kate Winslet package. Uh, I mean, just the fact that when you find out in episode one that she was a former basketball star, I just, like, my eyes welt up because, well, I mean, because it makes, it makes her, I mean, Sometimes people get cast to play police officers and they're they're playing the the belt, um, you know, that utility belt that cops wear. I don't know yeah. if you've ever put one of those on, Bill, um, but I have, and they weigh about 40 pounds. Um, they're very heavy. And to wear that all day is it, it's just it's just you're you're carrying around a lot of stuff. Yeah. And but that is not, I mean, she's not a beat cop, so she doesn't have to deal with a utility belt, but she may, she may once have been one. Um, but what she's carrying around is all of that, like, like, like a, like a let go, an athlete's like beached body, basically, right? Where like so much of her carriage is like in her, it's like in her, like her posture is really interesting to me in this performance. Um, and like, yeah, she's carrying of, it like in the lower half of her body almost. Yeah, like you, yeah, you, it's yeah. almost like she had like a torn ACL 20 years yes. ago and she's never got it fixed. And was really, was like, again, was, would, would take that for the team in order to like not have to have, I don't know what high school basketball is like in, in, you know, I don't know what high school basketball is like in like, you know, that part of like Philadelphia. Who knew? Who knew? Is that rabid? The girls' basketball but, scene in Pennsylvania in the mid 90s. But, well, I mean, my sister played... Well, no, she did not play basketball. That's a lie. My niece played basketball. My sister ran track. But, like, it is competitive. It, it's, not yeah. a, it's not a joke. But um, I, I just, like, I like that the lead in, for at least for a person familiar with the Kate Winslet experience, is, like, is her physicality in some way. And that, you know, when she goes on that foot chase in the first episode and, 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 and can't quite do it, she's, like, lost a step. Um, but she's still committed to chasing down, you know, I, I don't know if that guy, we call him a perp, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that there's just something about her 
understanding what it is, or at least like Craig Zobel, who who who's responsible in part for this, or like directed it, and Brad Inglesby. I don't know who cho- who decided to cast her. My but, guy Brad. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like they know some. Like she knows, they know what what is what a thing that is special about her that she can do that really nobody else can. Um, and one of those things is is the way her physical self functions. Um, and that's well, that's, that's so a big deal. That leads me to the second piece of this Winslow conversation. I think what makes her career so interesting to me, other than all the obvious reasons, and why I think she was the best actress from mid-90s on, basically the best post-Meryl Streep actress we've had, is you can kind of put her in anything. Like, I'd be hard-pressed to think about movies that it would have been like, nah, she's wrong for that one. Like, even somebody like Nicole Kidman, who I think you're about as high on as anybody, just as an actress, and mm-hmm. um, you're a massive fan of- But I'm no fool, of- Bill. <laughs> you you would not have bought her as a former you would not have bought her as a former high school basketball champ now as a cop in Pennsylvania. It just it would have been ridiculous. Well, there's no way. Let's just pause that for one second. <laughs> because I think Nicole Kidman could play Frederick Douglass. But <laughs> Okay, fair. Now, what do I want to see her do that? I do not. Yeah. Um, but I do think that if you had given her this role, the problem would not have been the the washed up basketball star turned police detective. It would have been the accent. Yeah. Nicole Kidman's, you know... Troubled accent history. She, this would have been a really hard thing for her to do. And like, look, we're watching the show. I'm from, I'm from Philadelphia. I've got a little, you've got, I mean, there are a lot of Philadelphians in your life, Bill. Yeah. Some with stronger accents than others. Mine is mediocre compared to, you know, like Chris Ryan, for instance. He's got, he's got an accent. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, it's all, it's, it's probably after Baltimore. I think Baltimore, then Philadelphia are America's two hardest accents. And. You mean I hardest accents for an actor to master? I mean, hardest accents. Yeah, I mean, for one thing, to start there, and I think they're just two of the they're two of the tricky accents to understand when you're like deep in the territory, too. Right. Well, Rhode um, Island's number one, just for the record. Rhode Island. Rhode Island is oh, like that's the a Massachusetts good one. No, 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 accent. No, 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 you're right. Yes. It's the Massachusetts accent after nine drinks. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost incomprehensible. How have I never heard that before as a yeah, person it's who just lived true. Up there it's for thirteen years? Okay, it's a fact. Um, so I, I do think that Nicole Kidman would have a hard time with that accent. And, you know, Nicole Kidman, how many, how many points do I spot her for just not caring that she does not sound like any of the places these characters are from? I just kind of, sometimes I just don't care. You know, with the Oscar nominations and all that stuff, and granted the Oscars have gone sideways, but they're at least the best reflection we have. I wrote a column for ESPN magazine way back when probably 2007, eight range, trying to mm-hmm. prove that Meryl Streep was the best actor or actress of all time, just based on nominations and wins and the categories I came up with this whole point system. And she was by far and away had the highest number. She's up to, for her career, 17 best actress nominations and four best uh, supporting. Mm-hmm. She's also won, I think, at least four, something like that. She's got three. Three? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And McDormand has three. But... um. 
But just for career, Hepburn had 12, 12 best actors, no supporting. And mm-hmm. I think she won like four, maybe f- three or four. She won four. Like yeah, she yeah. won four. Um, Winslet and Blanchett both have the four and three for seven total. Plus, um, they've each won once. Jane Fonda had best six Blanchett's best actresses. Won twice. Oh, but Blanchett you're right. Two. Yeah. Um, Fonda was six best actress, one supporting, and she won twice. Dame Judy mm-hmm. has the five and two. McDormand mm-hmm. has the three and three, but she's won three times. And Close is four and four, four best actress, four best supporting. She's won zero. She's had eight noms. And then Betty Davis, 10 best actress nominations, zero supporting. But my point is like, that's our entire list of seven nominations or more. If you throw in Geraldine Page, four and four. Oh yeah. That is one, two, Page. three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 actresses ever Stole with seven Whoopi nominations. Goldberg's Oscar. That's right. That's that Geraldine Page. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Trip to Bountiful. She's good in the movie, but that was Whoopi's Oscar. Sorry, I hate to hate to spoil it for you. There's some crimes from '89 to boy '88 to '94. There's, most of the Oscar biggest Oscar travesties ever happened in like an eight year range. There, <laughs> every every year was a complete outrage. You just go year by year. It's just something something. At least one thing happened that was uh, off putting. But here here's why I bring all this up. Kate Winslet's only 45. Yep. There's a lot of time left here. And I think as we saw in this TV show, she's not going to be afraid to explore what middle age is like. What, what, what is it like when your body changes? What is it like when you hit 50? I'm just kind of, I feel like there's another 20 years here for her. Oh yeah. But here's the thing though. And I hate to sort of, every time we talk, I feel like I bring this up because it's, but it's really important and you can't, paper over this. Now, you or you mentioned earlier when things started to go a little sideways for Kate Winslet. Yeah. And, you know, some of that might have been like personal choices, but around the time that she makes, I mean, let's say that the last like good, maybe 2011 slash 2013, she was in Labor Day. Um but once she starts showing up as like, is she the president or the, like the leader of the colony in Divergent? I don't know. She's got that some official, like a money grab. That seems right. like I'm getting divorced. I need to cash a check. Right. So once she shows up in in the Divergent movies, and then she plays, she's got that part in in Steve Jobs, which she does get an Oscar nomination for. Interesting performance, by the way, because you don't. She's I'm not just, a fan. I got to say that was probably I, my least favorite Kate Winslet performance. I, I didn't I think she was good in well, that movie. I've got some other least favorites, but I hear you on that. I, I have no defense for it. Um, but that's the point at which the movies are, they're dying, right? They're, cha- they're definitely changing, right? They're moving into some other version of, of, of themselves. And there are, she, I mean, it isn't just that, that she's not, none of these parts is, none of these movies is good. None of the parts is good. She did a Woody Allen movie. She did a Wonder Wheel isn't that a woman in her forties thing though? Because that, I mean, you could argue the same thing happened to Jane Fonda. But who? Okay, so all right, let's just play this out. Who is taking like Kate Winslet's parts after two thousand fourteen? Like who? Who's taking? I would all these say roles? they're going to like the Scarlet Generation, right? Like Kate Winslet would have been in Marriage Story, but she was too old, you yeah. know. And that that would have been like the. I mean, she basically made Marriage Story. She did Revolutionary Road. It was the same kind of movie. <laughs> that was like <laughs> that was a marriage story with like 
like you know that that movie's weapons. dark. Um. So yeah, I think so. It's two things here. We always talk about you need to find your muse. You she needs a couple directors to specifically say, I I'm writing a movie for Kate or I have this part. It would be perfect for Kate. Something like that. I, I, yeah. She's going to need to hit the lottery with that a couple of times. Meryl Streep hit a point where it was just like, if you get Meryl Streep in your movie, she's your number one choice every time. She'll have her Devil Wears Prada moment at some point, you know, probably seven, eight years from now, right? She'll have some pop culture part where she just looks different and she's older, but it's like a signature. Oh shit. Oh, we're at this stage of, of her career now. So that I feel like there's going to be some stages down the road. I thought this was a good stage, though. I just don't think there are enough people to be offering her these parts. Like where, like where are they coming from? Don't right? get, don't get dark I, on me. I'm sorry. Don't write off movies and television. <laughs> I'm not writing them off. Maybe it'll I'm be just, prestige TV. Right. I mean, which is fine. I felt like when she did Mildred Pierce, that was a real. I mean, she was ahead of a. I mean, other great actors have have done, you know, limited series television. Obviously, like she's not the first person to do it. But when she chose to do that, what year was that? Was that fifteen? Two thousand eleven. Um, Mildred, Mildred Pierce. Pierce. That yeah, was two thousand eleven. All right. So that was like an interesting like bellwether, right? Because she was still at the top of her. She was still near the top, right? That was the thing she does after she wins the Oscar, though. That's the thing she does is Mildred Pierce. And I felt like, okay, I'm not going to turn down, if I'm Kate Winslet, I'm not going to turn down a chance to, to, to do the, the novel, the, to, be, to do a more faithful to the novel version of Mildred Pierce with Todd Haynes mm. um, and Guy Pierce, where I get to luxuriate in the, in the absurd tragedy of this novel. Um, but at the same time, you know, nothing is quite right after that. And I think that that's the moment, this is this period where the movies are changing. And I just don't see who is taking these parts from this, from this woman. Like there's, there's not, there's not a lot to go around. So that might be a little bit of it, but well, there just we, aren't can enough Can we be her agent to... for a second? <laughs> yeah. I'm calling Nancy agent. Myers. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I'm calling David E. Kelly and be like, Hey. If you have another show in development with housewives holding glasses of Chardonnay at six o'clock at night who hate their husband, <laughs> can you just call and send us a script? If they if there's anybody on a deck looking out on some great ocean view and wondering what happened <laughs> to their life, Kate's Kate's ready. She could do it. She's ready. Um I would also I would like to see her just what is her mainstream? What's her what's her like What's her version of The Way Back with Affleck? Mm. Oh, wow. Isn't it this show? <laughs> what it, but I'm saying, like, yes. what's that as a movie? I guess you're right. Maybe that is this show. But what could she do one of those things where she's battling some personal demon and she's trying to work her way out of it and then it falls apart? She hasn't well, really done that yet. Like some maybe like a rehab type movie. Yeah. I mean, but that's I mean, I think that there's a thing where at some point your pride kind of kicks in. There's just a thing you don't really want to be doing, which is like, you know, drug addicted, opioid, alcoholic. It just, she, I don't know. She's never really, I mean, she's played. I mean, I think that, I think Mayor Sheen is a drunk, right? I think this Fair. woman is probably an alcoholic, but the show isn't about her drinking. It's about 
all this other stuff. Now, I've got some issues with where the show is, like, what the show is trying to do for, for poor Mare. Um, but I think that she is not stooping to conquer on that show. That performance is not about, like, pulling out all the stops. It's about leaving enough stops in to make this woman really interesting. And the other interesting thing about, like, where things are is last year she did do one of these, like, so-called Oscar movies. It was called Ammonite, and it was her and Saoirse Ronan banging. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that sexy. But they were playing two women in love, and nobody right. cared. Like, it didn't get, I mean, it's not a great movie, it wasn't but really when did it ever stop it anybody? It wasn't pandemic programming. Right. I just feel like, and also she's playing a Brit is the other thing. It's just such a weird, like the fact that that movie got no traction last year when everybody was stuck in their houses and like everybody loves Saoirse Ronan, everybody loves Kate Winslet, but nobody wants to see them like hook up in a period piece. I gotta be honest. I didn't see it either. Uh, I mean, would you, nobody Would did. you have seen Kate Winslet and the Queen? Would you have wanted that? Like season four, Kate oh, Winslet appearance. Oh, that queen. Uh, yeah, I'd have been. Oh wait, the queen or the crown? The crown. I'm old. Uh, the crown. Yeah, sure. I mean, she couldn't. Could she have been a better Thatcher than than um, Gillian Anderson? I don't know. I, have I mean, they gotten to Fergie yet? Could she be Fergie? <laughs> Put a red wig on her. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. Wait, yeah. hold on. I, I yeah. Give me your Kate Winslet Mount Rushmore because we got to go soon. Okay, Kate Winslet, Mount Rushmore. Oh, oh, so here's oh, mine. Oh, oh. Okay, you go first. Titanic. Mm -hmm. Little Children. Ooh. Which I really want to do uh, for the rewatchables, even though it's, it's not a rewatchable. That movie's fucking amazing. I actually really, can't believe really. it. You really could have made the case it should have won the Oscar that year. Uh, so I have Wasn't that. even nominated for Best Picture. No. Titanic, The Holiday, Little Children. Is it is it too weird to to put Hideous Kinky as the fourth? Because that it movie is, is so fucking crazy. It is not. It is okay. not. I'm not going to put it as my fourth. I don't have a fourth yet. I'm going to leave my fourth blank for her. Okay. I'll put Mare of Easttown as my fourth for now. But I feel like there's a fourth that will go. But I think I like those three movies specifically because I think it's the whole Kate experience. Mm, okay. I also think it's incredible that her and Leo were in Titanic when you could argue that those were two of the best five actors of the last 30 years. And they just, mm -hmm. those were their breakout roles. Like just what yeah. are the odds of that? Low. Non-existent like, now. Be like LeBron and Luca just randomly being rookies on the same team. <laughs> yeah, and this, yep, like, yep, how yep. did this happen? Um, And then going off and yeah, exactly. And doing these other, or like winning a champ, winning an NCAA championship together and then going off and doing X, Y, Z. It was like the fab five of Jalen and C-Web became two of the best players of the last 30 years. All right. Exactly. What's your Mount Rushmore? <sighs> Titanic's um, got to be on it. Come on. Does it? Does it though? Does it? Come on. Uh, don't be a party I, pooper. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Listen, no, I you don't have to have Titanic. I, I mean, I don't, I don't care. Uh, okay. So sense and sensibility, mm. uh, Holy smoke. Um, Holy hmm. smoke. Somebody's going to watch Holy smoke tonight and be like, why did those guys do this to me? <laughs> but she's so great. That is the apotheosis of the Kate Winslet, ex Winslet experience right there. Just be careful, people out there. Yeah, be that, careful. Make sure be the careful. kids like aren't in the playpen 10 feet away. 
It's full on Jane Campion during peak Keitel and and beginning of peak Winslet. I feel like I've seen Keitel's cock as much as I've almost seen my own at this point. (laughs) Keitel's cock is how many times was his cock in a movie? Like five times? Not enough, Bill. (laughs) Not enough. Uh, what That's else? That's the do next we have? HBO show. It's called Kaitel's <laughs> Cock. It's just it's a limited series. Keep it keep it coming. Um, All right, Sense and Sensibility. Holy smoke! You got two more. Um, Little Children. Amazing movie. And uh, I'm I, I'm gonna go with Titanic, and here's why. Because I think that like as we were talking about Fork in the Road, but I also think that's just a great example of movie star acting by a person who is convinced she's playing a character because we don't know who Kate Winslet is this at this point yeah um and she you know I am not a big fan despite what I said about not caring about Nicole Kidman's bad American accents in a lot of things I do care about I do want British people to play British people and you know Australians to play Australians every once in a while well, that's um, a, that's a big flaw with back with Black Hat, which which could have been a contender. But Hemsworth, just have yeah. him be Australian. Why are you giving him a Bronx right. accent? I, I don't. What are you doing? Understand. You're undermining I, your own movie. Listen, I don't get just it. Make him make him from fucking Melbourne. Who cares? I, I don't understand. It just it. But I think for actors, I think it kind of is a challenge. And also, I wonder if it's like at some point. It's like being a major league baseball player and then playing wiffle ball with your kids and it just messes your swing up. Right. I don't know. I'm not an actor and I don't do accents, but I think you got to just stay in the mode as often as you possibly can. So you like can. that she stayed in the mode in Titanic? I think that she, well, she she's creating the mode that she never really left. She rarely left it. Um, she mostly plays American people, the occasional German, but mostly Americans. Um, the, and, the Reader's great. I just, that's a movie oh God, I don't want to no, watch again. Don't say that. That's no, not I like a the great Reader. movie. She's really good in it. I oh, liked it. What a, what a trap. That, that movie is a moral catastrophe. It is just appalling. It is a movie. Do, Bill, tell people what this movie's about. And see, see, <laughs> see if you can do it without changing your mind about how good the movie is. I, I'll, can I recant? <laughs> She's... She's unbelievable in it. That's why I like the movie. She's yeah, unbelievable she, in it. She is good. She is good in the movie. You know what? Remember the thing about that movie that takes me out every time I think about it is they tried to market her as a supporting actress so that they she could get the double she could get the double nomination for Revolutionary Road. Even though and she's it was in like of, every scene. Yes, and it was one of the rare times where Academy voters are like, "Are you fucking kidding us with this shit?" This woman is in almost every scene of this movie. Who's she supporting? Right. Um, and she winds up winning, you know, for that movie and not the other one. Um, yeah, I don't, the reader, the reader is just an abomination. I can't, I can't abide that movie. I can't. She's I mean, I love this woman. I, she is very good in it, but I can't, I can't conscience any choice that gets made with, with, within that movie. It is just, it, it's just shocking. It's shocking to me the way all the corners it cuts on like what was actually happening at those concentration camps and like yeah. the idea that just the, the thing that the movie, the information the movie pivots on, ugh, disgusting. I can't do it. <laughs> so Titanic's your fourth. 
I'm going to choose Titanic. You you kind of made me think about it because I just would have like skipped right over it and gone with Contagion or something. But like, I think that um, she's really good in Contagion. I think she's. I think that Titanic is a really good performance by an actress we didn't really know giving a movie star performance, and I I just loved I love that. Well, she also um, survives the incredibly bad choice to have Rose sort of try to commit suicide, but not really. She's just yep. standing on the deck and then Leo saves her. And then she kind of lets Leo hang out to dry instead of just being like, yeah, I got too close to the thing. And this, I actually lost my balance and this guy saved me. She's just kind of looking at him scared. Yep. So they arrest him and <laughs> she somehow gets through that and I'm still rooting for her. And it's like, I should have been out right there. Yep. There's a lot of points in that movie where you should be out on Rose, but she kind of saves it. But just to say, like, I think Mayor of Easttown is a really, I mean, I, I just, I, I think it's just a really, I love the first three or four episodes. I don't like the idea that they're turning this character. They're like, they're just so determined to redeem her in the most like stereotypical redemption oriented sort of way for a cop. Yeah. Um, I love that the show was about policing initially about policing that you don't normally see. Um, I don't need another cop show. I don't need another like, cop romance show you know what i mean like like yeah. what a like the the bad the the good cop has to make some bad choices to ultimately do to ultimately do the right thing fuck that i am tired of it but i think this thing is so well made Agreed. and uh all of the acting on this show is good i mean there are probably people that you don't like in the performances i just think all the acting everybody trying to go for an accent not everybody getting there i don't know why there's not more sports on this show though i'm curious about why Upsetting. only one time there's a, I, i've only seen i've only noticed one scene of people watching sports maybe i missed one i like how we enter a world yeah i like movies yes. where i'm in a world i'm like i don't know this world this is great tell me more I'm from that world, and that's a world as a as a black Philadelphian. You just don't go. Mm. And I'm yeah. Anyway, I I just think she's really good on that show, and I think the show is 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 remarkable. I thought episode five, um, the last twenty minutes of it. I don't want to spoil for people who haven't seen it, but it 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 did something that I wasn't expecting, and I was surprised how into it I was because usually I'm three fourths watching these as I'm also like you know, on emails or something. And that, that one, I was just like completely riveted, which. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, I knew what the show was trying to do with that last bit. And I was simultaneously in deep suspense, but also like, oh, I know what's happening here. I mean, not with, not with the plot, but just with the character. I know what's happening here. Yeah. And they probably owe Jonathan Demi some royalties. I was going to say you're a Silence of the Lambs fan too. I know. I know that it's a, I would call it an homage. Like yes. how Olivia Rodrigo is an homage to Taylor Swift in a lot of ways. Um, yes. All right, Wesley, yes. uh, we can listen to Still Processing with you and Jenna. Are you taping these days? We're done. We just ended, we just did a whole thing about Before I Let Go. But you can listen to the old episodes. They're Your load there. management is a lot like Kawhi Leonard's with, with Still Processing. Oh, thank you. Well, you, you know, you'll, you'll take a week off or take a month off. Then you'll come back. It's always put on the Apple page as new and noteworthy, even though it's been around for five years. They just love that thing. New and noteworthy, a podcast that's existed since 2016. Yeah, uh, People love it. Us. It's great. Uh, yeah. Wesley, great to see you. Great to see you. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, 
delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Okay, as promised, my daughter Zoe, she just turned 16. Her best friend, Ella, who also just turned 16, uh, they've known each other since they were in diapers. And they talk about all the stuff teenage girls talk about with pop culture, influencer culture, all that stuff, all the time. I was fascinated by this Olivia Rodrigo thing. Normally, Zoe would just come on and talk to me, but I thought it'd be more fun if she just talked to Ella about it. The new album came out. People love it, and they're going to explain everything that's going on for us. So I am throwing it to my daughter. I'm so excited to get into this podcast because our idol, Miss Olivia Rodrigo, dropped her new album, Sour! Ah! Uh, and it is incredible. Incredible. Got a new single. Got a new single a week before, and then the whole album dropped a couple days ago. And I was floored. I was floored. Floored. That's, that's a good, that's a perfect word to describe it. So first, let's just cover the singles that came out right before. Good For You, which came out about a week before the album dropped. Uh, this this song just absolutely, at first, you know, I I wasn't totally into it. I was like, this isn't typical Olivia Rodrigo. This is kind of rocky and pumpy. And this is like, this is not the driver's license girl that we saw crying over a another girl taking her man. This was like angry Olivia Rodrigo and I didn't know how to handle it at first. But now I listen to this song in the shower, in the car, while I'm working out, whatever. <laughs> I love it. What do you think? I, I love it too. I mean, in the music video, there was fire. She was the popular girl in the in the cheerleading costume. And I was just like, wow. Like, I'm so here for this. This is your typical teenage angst. And I couldn't be more happy that Olivia was kind of taking on that role. Kind of channeling some Alanis Morissette vibes. Like the Definitely. way that she really floored the entire like generation when she dropped um, You Ought to Know and just was like, everyone was like, what the, what is this? Like, she's like, this is this angry girl who's like angry at this guy. And that's what I was, I was getting those vibes from Miss Olivia. Definitely. So that we got about a week ago, right before the album came out. And then we got the album um, Friday. It came out. We all listened to it. I mean, everyone I know has listened to it. and. We have we start with brutal, which was very similar to good for you. It was first, okay. My first impression. Go yes. ahead, and then I'll give you my thoughts. I, I it scared me. I listened to it and I was like, "What is happening?" And then I was like, "Then I was like, why is Olivia Rodrigo so insecure?" And then I was like, "Okay, this is a good song." And now I listen to it regularly. <laughs> I don't like brutal. You don't like brutal? 
It's brutal. Okay, it's here. not my favorite. No, it's just compared to all the other songs on the album, this was my like, eh, eh, no thanks. Really? Mine was Jealousy, Jealousy. Oh, same. I didn't like that song either. That was kind of, it was similar to Brutal in like the trying to be rock song, but it didn't quite hit it like Good For You did, in my opinion. Okay, let's give our, our top threes. Okay, my top threes, and this is not an order. These are just my, my, my ones. Traitor, for sure. This song, absolutely uh-huh. like, oh, just from the first time I heard it, chills all the way down my neck. This was like, a driver's license vibe, but escalated yes, to the max. I knew it too. You were at dinner. You were at dinner and her album has just come out and I Snapchatted you and I was like, Trader, you're going to like Trader. I know. <laughs> and I called it and it's so good. Such a so good, good song. Just, uh, it's it hits every single thing that I'd want it to hit. And a sad song and a song that could also just make me scream in the car. Like for totally. whatever emotion I'm feeling, Trader is a good song. Then my next one would be Favorite Crime. Oh, oh. This song, oh my god, also chills down my back of my neck. That did not come out right of my mouth, but chills, <laughs> chills, absolute chills to this song. Also, like kind of a driver's license vibe, but it's different. It's like it's not exactly, you know. I mean, it's interesting because it? driver's license was her first single, right? So yeah. we are assuming that the overall vibe will kind of connect to that song, bits and pieces. Like, it'll have very incredible bridges and choruses and catchiness. And that's what she did. So that's just, like, props to her for making a cohesive album. Yeah. Um, but for my top three, we only have one in similar, which is Girl, surprising. you skipped my third. No, you said them. No, I only said two. Oh. oh Sorry, my last, really one, my last one's good for you. Okay, go ahead. Really? Yeah. Okay, my top three, one step forward, three steps back, not because it was just sampled from New Year's Day, just because the lyrics and the bridge and everything is so good. And it's just like, I was like, that's my song. Like the cover art too on Spotify is a converse and like that is my shoe. And so Amelia was sending me all these TikToks and she's like, this is your song. And she's making me very, feeling very special. Anyways, um, happier. You like that one? Yeah, I like that song. I just and then compared to crime. the other songs, it's like ha- just, no happier is incredible. Yeah, it's it's a good song. It's just I I don't know. It doesn't invoke the emotions in me that the other three I mentioned do. To be honest, okay. And I and like then, yeah. one step forward, three steps back. But it like kind of reminded me of a nursery rhyme in the what? chorus. Yeah, I love the lyrics. It's just like the chorus. <laughs> like, have you listened to New Year's Day by Taylor Swift on rep? No. Okay, then maybe you should listen. Then to I don't. I don't get the vibe. Deeper. Okay, no, but here's the thing, I, I realized what? how much I love favorite crime, and I was like, damn, this song is amazing. Like, it feels like crack listening to this song. I've never done crack, uh-huh. but it feels like what I would imagine crack to feel like. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. And I was like, Zoe. I was like, <laughs> I was like, why, why is this song, like, hitting me so hard? But I also feel like this feels familiar. Like I know this, mm-hmm. and then I realized. This song sounds painfully similar to Feeling Whitney by Post Malone. Okay. I just, sure. and this is not, I, this is not I mean, throwing shade at Olivia at all. I was just like, right. wow, this song sounds so similar to another song that I have a really deep-rooted love for. Like, this is why I love this song so much. Yeah, I mean, and she obviously, like any artist does, takes from other artists in variation. like. You need to listen to New Year's Day because one step forward, three steps back is sampling from New Year's Day. It has the same track of piano. 
which is obviously like Olivia loves Taylor so much that she wrote a rendition to New Year's Day and she loved One Step Forward, Three Steps Back so much that she put it in the album. And Jack yeah. Antonoff and Taylor Swift are credited, so it's not like she stole it. But I can definitely see so many Billie Eilish influences, Conan Gray, Taylor Swift is a, is a gimme. Um, but I feel like Whitney was an interesting one. I never heard that before. Yeah, and I mean, I... I am in no way like upset about how the song sounds similar and how she takes inspiration from other artists because there's there's only so many melodies out there and it's good to take inspiration and to make it your own. And she didn't copy these people. She's just respecting their work and taking inspiration. Anyways, okay. So a big question throughout the media, is this going to be the year of Livia Rodrigo? And I, girl, I think it is. I mean... She's already been taking it over. She's She dropped driver's license a few months ago and this took the internet by a storm. Like literally everyone freaked out. This was all over TikTok. Just every right. form of social media, this song was all over it. And then she dropped her single Deja Vu and then Good For You and then this album and she's just progressing and her fame is only getting bigger and she's becoming more of a well-known person for better or for worse. Because you know, so people hate and that's that's just a thing that happens and it's it's normal when you're such a big star. But I do think that this is the year of Olivia Rodrigo. What do you think? And I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, she's killing it already. And do you want to hear my little like conspiracy? Go, go off. Yes, okay. I'd love to hear it. So we have Sour, right? This is her album. It's a 34-minute album. It's not long. It's Compared to other artists, it's not long. So smart. I think, and all of these all of these songs are, are breakup songs. They're, she's sad, right? But she's posted, she has so many unreleased songs that she's just posted little snippets on Instagram that are that are happy, that are about like being in love, right? I think there's going to be another album soon, sooner than you think, called Sweet. And you want to know why I think this? Because she collaborated with Sour, with Patch, Sour Kids, Patch Kids. And what's their slogan? Sour than sweet. Ella! I know. Okay, oh my I'm going to credit. Half of that was from TikTok. Um, <laughs> but I made some of those connections myself. Okay, well, I, I'm i completely interested in this take. And we'll see how it plays out because this seems like the type of thing she would do. She's trying to take these little like, you know, little hints from what Taylor Swift did in her past and she might be injecting that in herself. And by the way, like collaborating with Sour Patch Kids, unexpected, but such a good move. I Such a good it. move. And they were literally only sold at the New York store and they were $25. So I was like really uh into buying them but then i didn't because they were grape flavored too ew okay that's that's a bad move all right high school musical musical series is that her next step to take over see um i mean listen the storyline for high school musical the musical the series we need to like shorten that we need a little acronym for that because it's a mouthful yeah but we're gonna talk about it a little bit more but honestly I think she's really wants to transition from acting to music. And I think this is the way she's doing it. I don't know if High School Musical is going to be renewed for a third season, but they're all seniors. So it doesn't really make sense for them to be renewed unless they want the show to kind of just go downhill, which isn't the smartest idea. Um, So I think she might take a little break from acting and really focus on her music, which I think would be the best next step for her. I think... You know, I would I couldn't agree more because she has she's been in the spotlight and she's been on the media and in film for a long time. She was on some Disney Channel shows and it's just it's been something that was really relevant in her life for a long time. And like you said, it's usually the move with these stars to go from like these 
acting gigs to becoming a big musician. And I think it's smart that the way she's doing it is by acting in a show that's all revolved around singing, which might grab the attention of younger viewers who don't know her music as well and bring them into her outside of High School Musical and Musical series life. I don't know. I think especially... I think she's going to start, she wrote some music for High School Musical, the musical, the series in the first season, and we could possibly be seeing that more in the second season. But after this, I don't know really what she's going to do, but I'm curious to see if she's going to just focus more on music, which I feel like would be the smartest move for her and the one I would enjoy. Because as much as I love her acting, her singing just hits it out of the park. So kind of to build off of this topic, I guess, let's do a manager for a day. So let's say that we had Olivia Rodrigo newly signed to us. We were her managers. We got to control every move that she made in the media, considering her position right now. What would our first move be to make Olivia Rodrigo even bigger in the media? Um, I think connecting with fans is so important. So I don't know exactly what I would do, but I would make sure there would not necessarily something as cliche as like a meet and greet, but I would make sure Olivia has the ability to interact with her fans on like um, just a casual level, just so she knows that they she cares about them. And also, I don't know, I love the way Olivia adopted the idea of Easter eggs from Taylor Swift. So I'd love to like just like release a bunch of Instagram posts all with the secret meaning but like I'm the one creating that secret message and all and just watch all the fans figure that out like I always think whenever Taylor or Olivia release like an Instagram picture like with Easter eggs like you know there's Easter eggs because it's Taylor Swift and Olivia Rodrigo and I would love to be them in this situation or their managers just watching the fans on like Twitter and TikTok trying to figure out what's coming next I feel like they get so much joy from that that that's definitely what I would do (laughs) you know what you know what I would think would be fucking groundbreaking what having a collab a duet between Miss Olivia Rodrigo and Sabrina Carpenter. <laughs> oh God, I thought you were gonna say Olivia Rodrigo and Taylor Swift. No, th- see, I that want... would that would be exciting, but I think the drama that would be provoked oh, yeah. from a collab between Sabrina Carpenter and Olivia Rodrigo would actually break the internet. Okay, then just... we would definitely be different managers because I don't want her to be like. No, that I get public. that, and I I don't think it would be I don't think it would be the greatest idea for her. F- future per se but as getting to be a manager for one day I can only make moves for one day I only have control over this girl for 24 hours I would want to make that the craziest fucking 24 hours I could make it I would want to I would want to just put her on blast and see what would happen because imagine imagine what people would do if they heard that Olivia and her so-called enemy Sabrina Carpenter were coming out with a song Hasn't that already been deemed a publicity stunt? Like, aren't Whatever, they chilling? still. People would freak I would, out. I would totally slip in Olivia Rodrigo on um, 1989 Taylor's version on, oh. like, Wildest Dreams, maybe a little style, like, background vocals duet, because that would break the internet, too. Just saying. Yeah. All right. Thanks to uh, Zoe and Ella for breaking that down for us. Thanks to Rob Mahoney and Kyle Mann. Thanks to my good friend, Wesley Morris. We will be back on Sunday night. Going to do the same gimmick with Rosillo on Sunday night that we did last week. A two-parter. We'll put up part one probably after the late afternoon 
game and then we'll do part two after the late game. I will see you on a Sunday night, even though it's Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy the three-day weekend. We'll have some content for you on Sunday night. Take care.